Welcome to Enhanced Therapy Podcast. My name is Derek Davda, and today I'm here with Dr. Pamela Kriskow. Dr. Kriskow is a founding member of the Canadian Psychedelic Association. She's the medical chair of the Vancouver Island University Postgraduate Certificate in Psychedelic Medicine. Psychedelic Medicine, how is that sounding to you? She's also the medical lead at the nonprofit Roots to Thrive. Welcome to the podcast, Pam. Wonderful to be here. Just an update that we the name um, of the Canadian Psychedelic Association is now the Psychedelic Association of Canada. That's what I thought. Psychedelic Association of Canada. Of Canada, yeah. Is, is this because you didn't want to be the same as Canadian Psychological Association? Well, I, there's really no win with it. Actually, PAC, you know, has all sorts of other um, connotations, but uh, I don't know. It's CPA, PAC. Oh, okay. We're doing the same great. We're doing the same great work. So, Psychedelic Association of Canada. Okay, great, great. So, I just came back from a wonderful weekend in Vancouver. Where are you now? Yeah, I am on um, a small island in British Columbia, Cortez Island. On Cortez, wonderful. Yeah. So, you're living the paradise life. That's that's great. Well, it's nice to have. A, it's nice, it's it's a necessary life for all the you know, stuff we have to do that is in our head to live in a, you know, to be able to get out in nature so that we can nourish the body and the spirit. That's, that's right. So, yes, yes and you, you're quite the innovator and a pioneer in the mental health and wellness space. So, you know, I've, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while and I'm super glad to have an opportunity to, to do so. So, to begin with, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? How have you found yourself in this predicament? A predicament. <laughs> I like that word. Well, I think we're, um, I feel really honored that um, I find myself in this predicament. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a really um, lovely time that, you know, psychedelic uh, medicines that we're having this psychedelic re-remembering or, you know, re-engaging with these psychedelics are coming back into the Western mindset. You know, of course, in many lineages across the world and in many places they've never they've never left and we've had this ridiculous error um in north america with the war on drugs that took these these substances away from us and um, so i feel pretty happy that that we're in the spot that they're coming back not only um for wellness but also for helping us with so many of the things that we're challenged with right now but it's been a bit of a long journey to get here as as life is often you know I went into medicine um hoping to to be you know a force for helping people return to wellness and you sometimes don't realize how unwell the system is until you're inside of it 
Did Did you start your medicine studies with a specific goal of working in this psychedelic space? No, no, it didn't start like that. And the reason was because really it wasn't even it wasn't even seen as possible. It wasn't really until um, the recently passed uh, Roland Griffiths and his team at John Hopkins was really doing the work, you know, as far back as 1999 when they were really starting to push to, you know, do all the heavy lifting work to get clinical trials going with psilocybin for for people, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was just when the kind of crack of light started to shine and you see it and we definitely followed it. And as, as we, you know, saw Roland's group leaving the ball forward, we started, a lot of us started to feel hopeful that these medicines might come back. But it, it also precedes that for me because my first degree was criminology. And so I fully understood okay. the war on drugs and I fully understood that these, you know, like so many political and policy decisions, they weren't based on science and they weren't based on medicine. And, you know, it was purely cultural and political errors in judgment mm-hmm. by politicians and policymakers, and uh, which, of course, had 50 years of consequence to all of us. So I already knew that from criminology. So it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't a big jump for me when I saw the crack there from my criminology right. history. And you were a firefighter, uh, both city and uh, forest, forest firefighter for a whole bunch of, of years. Yeah, I did four seasons of forestry, uh, firefighting. Mm. Uh, so all through the beautiful, <laughs> unfortunately burning parts of, you know, British Columbia, the Yukon, Memphis territories. And uh, yeah, and then I was a city firefighter for eight years in the lower mainland in Coquitlam. Hmm. So your connection to nature is from all sides, from the firefighting side, but also living in uh, one of the most beautiful places in the world. So much beauty. And that could naturally kind of bring us to uh, Roots to Thrive, which is, uh, which is uh, one of the initiatives. You're involved in a number of interesting initiatives mm-hmm. and Roots to Thrive. Should we start with that? Would you be able to, to uh, tell us a little bit about Roots to Thrive and what you're doing there? Yeah, I'd love to. So... You know, in in 2019, there was a gathering in British Columbia uh, through a grant with um, Vancouver Island Health Authority in uh, October 2019, and uh, it was a a conversation on where where are we at with psychedelic medicines, Uh, where do we hope to be, and how do we get there? Um, So there were policymakers, there were um, clinicians, uh, elders, First Nations elders, um, community members, and it was quite quite the event. And in the, and around that same time, Dr. Shannon Dames, who's a, a nurse and a, a researcher, had piloted a program for healthcare healthcare providers who had been burned out. This resiliency program called Roots to Thrive. Okay. And we put we mm. met and we put our heads together and thought, how great would it be if we could add psychedelic therapy? to this resiliency program, like how much better would it be? Mm-hmm. And so in 2020, with a wonderful team, uh, Crosby Wattler, psychiatrist, Helen Wattler, a somatic energy worker, Elder Geraldine Manson, a new name is Elder, uh, Dr. Shannon Dames and her, her partner, Phil Dames, uh, Wes Taylor, a therapist, and I hope I'm not leaving anyone, oh, Gail Pikikut, 
uh, an elder in this space, and a nurse and a, a spiritual care worker. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm missing a few people, so I apologize. But it was a, a wonderful group of people. Mm-hmm. We put our heads together, and I had the specialty in mm-hmm. psychedelic medicine already. I had been um, already developing programs and uh, for my chronic pain clinic. And so we put our heads together, and we, and we, we recreated Roots to Thrive with a psychedelic therapy using uh, ketamine-assisted therapy as a legal, psych- at legal psychedelic doses. Mm. And we piloted it um, first with nurses, burned out nurses that had either PTSD or burnout or moral injury from their work, and it went phenomenally. And ever since then, we've been, mm. we've been quality improving Roots to Thrive, and making it better with patient input, with team input, and our goal is to implement all any any improvement we can make to the program immediately. And we also wow. recognize that we needed to get the research out there, so we we published on our outcomes in our first four cohorts. We published those in Frontiers mm. of Sci- uh, Psychiatry, um, and mm. then we also published our safety data and, and actually. Now we have uh, 12, uh, 12 women researchers that are working together um, under the banner of Roots to Thrive, um, also publishing, like, look at, like publishing this real data, like what's happening in a real program, in a real community, um, and really filling in those blanks. But uh, to back to wow. Roots to Thrive, we, we kept it, we, it's still going and, and it's a nonprofit. Um, that way, what we can do is every bit of extra money that is either donated to the program or is extra in the budget goes to scholarships. Because right now, um, the, these um, these therapies aren't funded yet in the healthcare system. Portions of it are yes. funded, like uh, some of the the doctor time, but the actual therapies aren't funded. So we had we turned ourselves into a nonprofit so that we could. You know, then we because really, like work, yeah, really work on access because we don't say no. Anyone that qualifies for our mm-hmm. program, we don't turn them away. We we find ways of, of finding scholarships or hopefully donations that can cover the cost so that the program can continue to run just breaking even. And uh, yeah, and so it's now what 2024, and the program is is running really strong and 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 what's really really fascinating for us is so many people that are now on our team are actually people that initially came through our program as participants with their own health challenges so depression anxiety Mm. ptsd burnout grief um anxiety i think i said that already uh you know substance use challenges and you know they you know when you get well again once you when, once you can deal with your own personal wellness and feel strong then you can you can be in a place of recontributing to your community and so it's it's really a unique program that the majority of people that are now on the therapy team actually came through the program so they understand it from both sides and it continues to innovate Damn, this is it, an yeah, incredible it continues to innovate it takes many hands no one person at all on our team takes the credit. We all, mm. it's, it's, we try to, um, you know, listen to all voices and, and really move it forward, but it takes everybody on the team. Every single person is the reason right. why, why the program is successful. 
So it's like a, a very much a community-based okay. community-based treatment initiative. You have 12 researchers. That that's incredible. Mm-hmm. So that's the benefit of 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 getting involved in a new and exciting field. Mm-hmm. 12 researchers wanting all, all wanting to study this this is incredible mm-hmm. so you mentioned the, uh, Vancouver Island Regional Health Authority mm-hmm. yeah the program started the program actually started in Island Health and um, it was actually Island at health, the yeah. beginning we were actually running out of Ladysmith uh, urgent care center yeah on the weekends okay. when the hospital boardrooms would empty we would turn the boardrooms into beautiful therapy rooms um, make them look like something like a yoga retreat and turn them and do group group psychedelic therapy there. So Island Health has also been ahead of the curve in terms of their openness to, to, to this. Yeah. Is that well, correct? Initially, yeah, they were quite open, but then they, they you know, sometimes the leadership changes and don't, doesn't fully understand the science and doesn't fully understand mm. that, um, you know, you need innovation to, to get people well. And, you know, it's clear, it's quite clear that the, what we've been doing for mental wellness in our country has been only minimally helpful to a lot of people. Otherwise, we would have no mental health issues in our country if they were working. Mm-hmm. And so um, you really need clinicians to, that are brave to stick their neck out to find innovation. And so... Physicians and nurses and, and therapists tend to be more innovative and courageous than institutions. So sometimes it takes a bit. So we're in we're in a situation where now we're we're in a spot where we have fantastic results. People are getting well. Mm-hmm. They're getting their lives back, but mm. the institutions are slow to to catch up and support. Which is again another reason why we we changed to a nonprofit. We moved ourselves out of the health authority into a nonprofit so that we could innovate in favor of the patients so that we could serve the patients only not not the system we wanted to serve patients wellness and sometimes you have to move outside of the system to do that so we hope to move back into the system one day but but right now we have to put patients are number one which makes me think maybe we should bring you to to Winnipeg to organize a meeting with the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority with all your experience and wisdom you could you could share some of this and see wh- where the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority is yeah. with regards to that. I think the way to move these things forward, wherever you are, is for our policymakers and our people that are that work, is really asking ourselves every day, what are we serving? Who are we serving? You know, if if our mm. actions are making patients' lives better, then we're then mm. we're in right relationship to our to our professions Mm -hmm. if we are serving paperwork Mm -hmm. or bureaucratic processes Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. cover your butt sort of stuff then we're not in service we're in service to bureaucracy and i think it's very it's a very simple question that each and every one of us asks ourselves every day are we serving patients are we serving people getting better if the answer is yes, good. If the answer is I don't know or no, then you should, people should be stepping back. So our politicians, our policymakers, healthcare providers, people working within the system, you know, everything should be about making it easier, healthier, less stressful for our patients. Excellent. I like, I like this. I like this 
quite a bit simple question, very good orientation, and I'm uh, completely on the same page with you. So if we, so, you started in 2020, you started a group with ketamine, and then 2021, you, you, you got the special access program and you actually did psilocybin, a psilocybin group? Yeah, what we did is, um, again, we, watching, watching what was going on with John Hopkins, you know, they were doing individual therapy. And I remember um, thinking about it and talking with our team and saying, you know, what they're doing is obviously great. Like, we know that psilocybin helps. Um, we know that. Like, and they're, sh- and they're proving it and they're publishing on it. Thank you. Like, you need them to publish on it. But I thought one of the things that one of the, the patients said in one of their interviews was, you know, it was really great, but I really wish I had more people to talk to. And I thought, well, this is what mm. we do. Like, this is what Roots to Thrive does because we do group therapy. And I was like, psilocybin in a community of people that get it makes so much sense, mm-hmm. obviously. So, you know, these were patients with palliative care um, uh, issues. Uh, or that's why they're in the John Hopkins studies. Mm-hmm. And so we saw what John Hopkins was doing. We said we, we listened to the patients. They want community. We, this is what we do really well at Roots to Thrive. So let's do it. So we brought it to the team and said, why don't we do this? Dr. Bruce Tobin had successfully gotten a Section 56 in Canada. And so we, we, did, we did the same thing. We had uh, with our palliative care physician on the team. We did a whole bunch of sec- – the patients did the Section 56 exemptions, and we had nine patients. And so we ran a group psilocybin mm-hmm. – mushroom journey with whole mushrooms uh, for our patients running it through the Roots to Thrive process. So they get together ahead of time, they get to meet each other, they get to know each other, um, they work on things that are, you know, questions and conversations that are relevant to having a palliative care diagnosis. And and then they have their psilocybin mushroom journey Together in a very ceremonial way, we're, we're so privileged to have some mm. nameless elders on our team that help us honor the mm. land on which we 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 exist, and so we follow very ceremonial. So it's a weaving of Western and First Nations ways together to co-create something even more wonderful and evolve, keep evolving it again in favor of the patients, and then. They continue mm-hmm. to integrate and learn together and be able to talk about what it's like to have a cancer diagnosis and be able to talk to each other and heal mm-hmm. as a group um, in a way mm-hmm. because now they don't have to take care of, you know, worrying about their family members or their, they just can talk as people that all have a palliative care diagnosis. I'm like phenomenally and we've, since, since then we've had four Four groups that have gone through, and we've had to pivot depending on the regulatory situation. So, Health Canada said, "Okay, no longer can will they give Section 56s. We have to do special access or SAP." And so, some of our patients um, over the four have gone through with Section 56, so whole mushrooms. Some have gone through with synthetic because we had to only use what was available. So, synthetic, and some went through with. Um, uh, botanically or uh, mycologically extracted whole mushrooms, but in an extract. And yeah, so we've had four groups and we have ma- many more that are, you know, kind of in the, in the process right now of making sure it would be safe for them and, 
That's that's wonderful, and you know we are, we are here preparing for the delivery of MDMA assisted therapy. My group here, and one of the things that we thought would be extremely important is to have groups. If the treatment is individual, uh-huh. which it probably will be once MDMA assisted therapy is approved, then to have support groups afterwards so people uh-huh. actually can share these experiences because. One of the risks is that people actually can feel a little bit alienated after a powerful experience of that sort. You know, if other people around them outside of therapy don't have that experience, they might not understand what that experience means. So in any case, that's groups. The value of groups is probably humongous. And I'm very curious about how this evolves on the regulatory scene in in the future and it's it's so great to hear that you you guys actually are doing it and and publishing on it which is really important and publishing on it yes you know there's a lot of there's a lot of groups around canada that are doing this now with special access whether it's mdma or psilocybin or ketamine and you know if they publish on it they publish on case reports publish on case series it it gets that even that is data you know, it's not it's not what we call the gold standard, the double blind placebo controlled trial. And right. um, data is data. You know, we need more data out there, and and we need people to know yes. that it what what works, what doesn't work, where the benefit is, maybe where the benefit is not. It's all it's how we move it forward, right? As we return, and especially with some of the molecules like LSD or MDMA or ketamine in the psychedelic realm, we don't have, you know hundreds or thousands of years of, of lineage of it, like we do with psilocybin right. or peyote or wachuma or ayahuasca and these other medicines that have been around and, right. and in use for much longer. So what's, what's happening? That's great. What's happening at Roots to Thrive now? You have an online program. What's the, if people wanted to connect with Roots to Thrive, what? Yeah, we have a number of programs. So we, 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 the group is our number one. We love that. And, and I'll, I'll tell you why too, because a lot of, you know, most of us worked one-on-one with, with people prior and loved it. And I have to admit, I was very biased against the group process. I didn't think it would work as well. And that bias has been shattered. I, again, that's, you know, when you're, when you really just look at that, what, how people are doing, what they're saying and the data both in combination the groups work way better. People do much better. What, what we don't have, I, many people have heard me say this before, but we don't have a psychedelic deficit syndrome. We have a deficit of connection, community, mm-hmm. support, yes. love. Like that's what we really, really need. Mm-hmm. And these psychedelics are tools to help us, you know, heal our trauma, help us move through things that are challenging to move through much faster than simply therapy. Um, in conjunction with therapy, but that's what people really are wanting. So at Roots to Thrive, we mostly focus on group therapy, group therapy with, um, so psychedelic dosing and group therapy. So whether that's ketamine or psilocybin, we also have MDMA through SAP as well. And in British Columbia right now, MDMA is actually decriminalized. Mm. So we have a harm reduction um, offering where we can do harm reduction MDMA okay. sessions uh, so that people can have safe sessions with healthcare professionals that are actually trained to work with MDMA and, and do everything that we are talking about, right? Proper preparation, proper making sure there's no medical safety issues, no psychological safety issues, like really doing all the kind of the Western stuff first 
so that then people can then move into that beautiful ceremonial setting mm. that is more, you know, what we would have been used to doing many, many hundreds of years back, that more ceremonial community part. And then the long tail out of integration, community, connection, talking. Many people come into our program very isolated, mm -hmm. but when they leave, the, they leave the program with friends mm -hmm. they, and they can always use all of our services. We have an alumni program. So for anybody that's listening out there that has, does programs, I highly suggest that they add on an alumni program where there's other offerings oh, yes. that people can have. So we have, we have movement offerings, wellness offerings, mm. group psychological, like where people can come mm. and talk and our energy workers do like EFT sessions and Q and a sessions. And so people can keep using roots to thrive as an alumni, as long as they need until they don't need us. Ideally, mm. you know, one, one day they don't need us. And, uh, we have people that can come back and do alumni sessions. So, so that is what's happening. And we do, we do now offer individual sessions in Roots to Thrive. We do recognize that there are some people that the group is just not an option. They don't feel that safety yet. And, and usually after they have one or two individual sessions, they're all ready to then now hmm. join a community group and, and be in a group. And so it's really about, you know, everything we're doing at Roots to Thrive is like how, what is the fastest way people can return to really their inner healer intelligence, really healing their traumas and moving into wellness, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. moving into those steps of wellness, recognizing that this is a journey forever. This is a journey you know, forever, never, yes. Yeah. Being a human is always, There's always, something <laughs> always that a learning comes up journey. For sure. Yeah. No, for sure. No, yeah. That's wonderful. The alumni mm -hmm. program, another really great idea. And how are you managing growth and demand? Well, we have a really large wait list and that's a little um, stressful for us. Mm. And we have, but we also have a very strong philosophy that we only move at the speed of competency. Nice. So we only, we only accept as, as many participants in our program as we have five-star facilitators. So if, um, you know, every time we run a new group, if uh, it depends on how many of our, our best facilitators are available, and then that's how many people we accept. We don't, you know, it's too important. People are, are, are trusting us in our program. You know, they're, they're having to pay money out of pocket to come through the program. Um, they have to commit their time. You know, so we want to we we want to make sure that they're going to get the best of the Roots to Thrive team, and so sometimes we run smaller groups, sometimes we run larger groups. So, you know, we may we may have six small groups running at once. We may have eight small groups running at once, but um, and then yeah, so it's uh, that's really important. You know, for so that our team members know that if they need time off, they can take time off to take care of family things or research or studying whatever they're doing. And uh, and and you know, we we hear so often, um, you know, people practicing when they're unwell or that they're you know they're going through a divorce and their personal life is shaken up and they're still doing therapy sessions and I just think people really need to go am I five star today am I at the highest level today mm -hmm. 
to offer this therapy. Mm. And that's why working in a team, I think everyone doing this work are, is going to be much more healthy if they have a solid team, create a team of, you know, healthcare providers, therapists, and a bigger team. So that, you know, if, if I need to step away, there's other physicians on the team that can do exactly what I do if a therapist needs to step away. Another great idea. Move at, we move at the speed of competence. I love that. Yeah. Roots to Thrive. That's, that's amazing. And the, the website for that is just Roots to Thrive? or what's Yeah, Roots to Thrive.com. Yeah, Roots of the Tree, R-O-O-T-S. Roots to Thrive.com. Yeah. Right. And are you based... Uh, on the island, Vancouver Island, or in, in Vancouver as well? Yeah, we based out in Nanaimo. Nanaimo. We, we find that that, and we have a wonderful partnership with Nanaimo's First Nations on whose land that mm. we are located, and okay. they have. Um, we work in out of one of their one of their buildings, which is fantastic. A mm-hmm. uh, number of their members are now on, who have come to our program are now on our team, and. Uh, yeah, and so, it, yeah, we found it to be a really great hub. It's easy to get there by car or ferry. People can fly in to Nanaimo easily. Um, we also have, you know, we've trained other teams. We have a training program in Roots to Thrive where mm-hmm. a, whole, a whole therapy teams can come through our program to learn the way we, we offer our program and also to do their own healing. Mm-hmm. As you know, most of, most of us that do these therapies, we really need to be foundationally strong. Mm-hmm. And so we've had teams from New York come through our program. Uh, we've had practitioners from all over the U.S. come through other places in the U.S. come through our program. From uh, Toronto have come through our program, and a team from Whistler came through our program. So there's and a, a team in the Fraser Valley. So mm. you know we and we recognize that one of the best ways to do this work is to obviously really have your team solidly doing its own work Great. first and foremost for sure you, know, you have to be healthy you have to be really healthy wow. this work is as you know and many of your listeners will know is is very challenging and you have to always be in integrity and you have to always be you know in a place of being able to serve be of service Absolutely. and serve and and be able to recognize your triggers and when you you know, it's, That's right. it's, it's challenging work. And having other, having other professionals, other team members around will help keep you in check. Well, and you want people, you want people that watch your back, right? Like you mm-hmm. want people, not, I be, I don't mean like protect you, but like also like, Hey Pam, you're, you seem really irritated today. Like mm-hmm. let's chat, you know, people mm-hmm. that truly care about us. Mm-hmm. Really has to be about the client about the patient that's that's where 100%. the focus has to be i just went in my head as you were talking about nanaimo through a ferry ride from horseshoe bay to nanaimo and then on the left hand side as you approach nanaimo you can see the little island and that island is full mm-hmm. of what is it sea lions yeah sea lions yeah, yeah? yeah. a bunch yeah. of sea lions yeah. on that little yeah. island yeah. Yeah? yeah such a yeah. beautiful beautiful uh, world out there. And is Vancouver Island University also in Nanaimo? Where is it located? Yeah, yeah, it has a number of locations. It's a small, a smaller university, which mm-hmm. is actually why we, when coming out of the program, we re- really recognized that we needed, you know, there needs to be university level training for this, mm-hmm. these therapies, as yeah. you know, people were taking all sorts of weekend programs and 
and thinking now, oh, now I'm going to be a therapist. And we, you know, when you mind map, we mind mapped all the psychedelics, you know, and it's a 21 year program if you really want to be competent. So, you know, it's taking a five day course or a a three day course or even a 12 week course is like really not enough. And so we, we, we had looked at working with larger universities, but they, they moved really, really slowly. And um, mm. so at Vancouver Island University, uh, Dr. Shannon Dames, who is the, the chair of the program, we, we, over the, the years of developing the program, we were, and I'm the medical chair of that program, we were able to really sit face to face with the dean, with the president, with finance, curriculum, and senate, and really explain to them the need for this program and they really leaned in and so we were able to do something like quite quickly a solid program and with all of our contacts our friends our academics that we knew we were able to really create a a fantastic one-year program again it's way too short but it is a great interdisciplinary multidisciplinary group that comes together Um, like there's doctors there's nurses there's therapists there's energy workers, there's uh, First Nations knowledge keepers, uh, all sorts of, like, a really diverse group of colleagues, colleagues coming together Mm. to study together, to move through, you know, learning about many different psychedelic medicines, learning about many different traditions, learning about, you know, all spirituality Mm. and culture Mm. and ethics and the nuts and bolts of it, but we really, mm. first and foremost, the program is designed to bring colleagues together so that they're learning from a bunch of people all through the program. And hopefully, as they come out the other end after their practicum time, is now they've got colleagues to work and train with for the rest of their lives. So if they, if you know, they they're creating. Hopefully, they're creating teams. Mm, of therapy mm, mm. and and if they and lifelong consult groups mm. lifelong accountability groups lifelong mm. learning groups and and then also um you know if, if down the road they're they need help from somebody they're like oh geez i really need to talk to a pharmacist well they remember they knew a pharmacist mm. in the program so they can call up mm. like we need people to be working not not in silos. They need to be working on teams and community mm. and really, you know, recognizing you can't know it all, nor should you expect to know it all. Mm-hmm. So the more colleagues you have working with, so the whole program was designed that way to take people mm. through this process mm. of getting a taste of all the different things that they could learn over 21 years. Like think about a true medicine mentorship and then continue lifelong learning. 21 years is your number, I hear, right? Well, that's what I think so far. Every every year, every actually month, I go back to the mind map and see if we've missed anything. Mm. And uh, we, we keep adding it and giving it out to the students to go, like, it's a big area. It's a, yes. it's a lot. Like, this is, this is why it is so important for people to know. You can't just take the MAPS MDMA training and then go, okay, now I know everything. No, this is lifelong learning. Mm-hmm. And you can't ever know anything, and it's and that it's a in 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 the, any arrogance that someone has of thinking, oh, now I know it all, you will cause harm. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. want our students to and and ourselves to remain humble, 
humble mm-hmm. that, you know, humble learning, beginner's mind, how can I serve better? And, and if we have caused harm to acknowledge it, you know, to, to move through that mm-hmm. rupture and repair process, recognizing we're humans and we will mess up and we mess up frequently <laughs> a lot. And uh, so in case, um, for those who haven't caught it, we are talking about Vancouver Island University Postgraduate Certificate in Psychedelic Therapies. And mm-hmm. this, is, this is the first postgraduate certificate of this kind in Canada, you say? Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, we're the only university that's offering a, uh, a year-long program that's in the public system. Um, University of Ottawa has some microcredit courses, and they're hoping to develop a master's program in the next okay. years. Um, we as well will have a master's program in the next years that will flow from this. And uh, I think, you know, over time, every university will have a program. I hope. Yes, yes, I imagine. Yeah. Might take a while. Yeah. So, since we had this topic, this is a, this is a huge topic, obviously. But mm-hmm. you know, psychedelic assisted therapy are a big paradigm shift from how healing is is done in a more regular medical setting. What I like to remind people is that you know, it, up until you know the war on drugs in the seventies, psychedelics were in the medical profession. You know, it's it's the war on drugs is a fifty year error in time. So I think if, if we hadn't had the war on drugs, you know, psychedelics would simply be a very useful tool. Um, and you know, we wouldn't be dealing with any of the stigma. Ideally what I, this is my, my personal biases. I think people should have access to these medicines how they wish. So if you want to have them in a beautiful nature setting at a retreat center, um, great, you know, and have the just the knowledge solidly out there uh, with our healthcare providers and our, our primary care providers, whether it's a physician, a nurse, or a naturopath, or whatever, um, that we know, oh, you know, based on who I am and what I'm mm-hmm. challenged with, like maybe medications I might be on, what would be a safe medicine? Which of these medicines would be safe for me? So I, I feel like Ideally, we would be in a situation where people could have these in a beautiful nature setting with really solid support. Uh, and, and also, I recognize that some people do like the medicalized setting. They do want a pill. They do want something in a more mm-hmm. clinical. And I think people should have the right across that spectrum to, if you want it in a pill form, because that's how you like your medicine fine and if you want it in nature setting um then you can have that in everything in between as possible but you know we like i said because of you know our highly um you know in the last years where we've we've had some people should remember we've had some remarkable breakthroughs with pharmaceutical medicines like many of us would would not have made it through childbirth or childhood or like there's some of these medicines have been in remarkable. So we shouldn't like forget that. Um, but that's meant that uh, most of medicine has kind of gone to that. Like something's wrong with you, you take a pill. And so I think that's what you were alluding to in your question. Um, and so we kind of moved away from like, what is the actual challenge that we're dealing with? What is the actual seed of the problem is it malnourishment because we don't eat whole food is it is it trauma 
that needs to be dealt with. And that's why we have substance use. So let's ignore the substance use and get rid of the help deal with the trauma and the substance use will go away. Mm-hmm. You know, so we, we, we kind of moved maybe a little bit away from what is the seed of the problem to let's give a pill for the symptom of the problem. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think what we're seeing that changes is we've had over the last 50 years, biological psychiatry, like a pill for every symptom. And now we're transitioning gratefully and physicians are grateful as well for this transition. I can, I can assure you that my colleagues are so happy that we are moving back into let's deal with what the real issue is. Yeah. And if we can get to that, if we can get to, you know, trauma from childhood or, you know, assault or whatever, and we can, we can heal that then so much goes away, mm-hmm. you know, is my, in my work as a chronic pain, like working in chronic pain, I know that, you know, if you, you can't heal the assault, you know, the trauma from the assault, then having, you know, it'll be very difficult to get rid of the fibromyalgia, mm. yes. you know, so you have to, you have to, and we know that, like, it's not, it's not that physicians don't know that, it's just that we're also shoved into this system we're also, we are also victims of a system mm-hmm. that doesn't allow us to practice whole human health. You started the interview with, uh, with the term connection, the connection mm-hmm. with, with the greater natural world, the connection mm-hmm. with each other, which mm-hmm. uh, sort of the quality of those connections reflects the, the connection that we have with ourselves as well. That, and the healing, mm-hmm. the psychedelic healing seems to be quite oriented towards... Yeah. regaining more and more connection and one way of thinking about that is um, that uh, we are not as much about eliminating the symptoms but more about integrating every single part of of your experience allowing every single mm-hmm. part of your experience to be to be seen to be experienced mm-hmm. and then things kind of integrate on their own we don't have to get rid of the symptoms the symptoms will sort of become less difficult absolutely being heard being seen being for who seen. you are being accepted. accepted and that goes back to the that goes back to the group process that is in root to thrive that is right. integral to group which is that people are heard mm-hmm. they're witnessed compassionately witnessed mm-hmm. You know, there's unconditional positive regard. Mm -hmm. And in that small group, people, you know, recognize like, oh, that person also feels shame or, Mm -hmm. or has these issues with their family. And you start to realize I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. Other people have this and you know what? They're likable. So if they're likable, I'm likable. So we start peeling off these layers that, oh yes, I've always been worthy of love. Right. I just didn't know it. I've always been enough. Yes. I was born enough. And these old stories that get layered on us sometimes by poor parenting, like you'll never amount to anything. You know, you're such a bad, like blah, blah, blah. These stories just start yes. to go away because that's all they've ever been. These yes. stories not, and not true ones. So in that group process, mm-hmm. when people are seeing, they're seeing each other, they're being heard by others. And it just means like, Oh, these people see me for who I am and they still like me. They accept us. That is incredible. Yeah. And that attachment to be, to reattach like Shannon Gaines, like, um, he, he said, started the program, you know, 
very commonly says in the program, like we get, we get hurt in relationship, but we heal in relationship, right? We get, we get traumatized from relationships. And then when you can heal in relationships and you move forward and many of our mentors talk about, you know, how, how we really get back to these attachment disorders, you know, reattaching as adults, we can reattach. And then those traumas exactly. go away. And, and these medicines accelerate that. But they're, and again, they're not for everyone. Like people listening to these are not for everyone. And if you can safely take them and, you know, have solid, solid psychological wraparound support to walk with you, they can be, they can, they can be life-changing so quickly. Right. And I, I see, you know, in, in a regular practice, I'm a psychotherapist, so I've been doing this for, mm-hmm. a, for quite a while. And I see a lot of people who, that kind of concept, that shift from, I just don't want that pain, that's it take this pain away versus I want to connect with myself. I want to get to know myself. I, I, I want to work on accepting myself, and, you know, and uh, connecting with myself. That's a huge shift. That's a 180. And that is not very easy to a lot yeah. of people. Culturally, we have been so brainwashed to, uh, to mm-hmm. the ideas that we just need to cut out parts of ourselves and throw them away. And it just doesn't work. It just does not work doesn't work in regular <laughs> therapy either, you know? So, so that shift is, is a 180 as far as I can see, you know, towards yourself, towards others, towards nature, mm-hmm. towards integration mm-hmm. and connection rather than... So that's, that's wonderful. And then you, you were talking about acceptance from being abs- accepted by others facilitates your own yeah. se- uh, sense of acceptance. And in a sense, uh, as far as I understand... It's necessary. You can't heal yourself in isolation because those patterns mm-hmm. that you have developed cannot be transformed unless they are transformed first in relationships. I don't know whether you'd agree with that kind yeah. of concept. Absolutely. And, you know, that, I just want to bring it back to one other thing, a learning that we had with Roots to Thrive. So when the pandemic happened, everything shifted, right? Mm-hmm. So our program went completely online, except for the psychedelic therapy. We had the highest quality air filters <laughs> in our therapy rooms. We had zero transmissions of any viral illnesses and continue that to date. But we transitioned the program online. And I was a huge skeptic. I was like, this is not going to work. Mm-hmm. We're not going to connect. But people connected wonderfully online. Mm. And what when we look back and, and we, you know, it's always nice when you can look back, you can kind of see why it worked. And what we found was that people could sit on their couches with their cat, with their favorite blanket and a cup of tea um, and be heard. Mm-hmm. And be seen, mm-hmm. and like really be, seen. really be seen, so that when they came together in person, so they had known each other, like in our program, they they know each other for about eight hours, maybe nine hours online, and then they show up for their first psychedelic session, and they're like family. Mm. They're hugging. They're like, yeah. "You're taller than I thought." Oh, look at you! Mm. And they and then they have their psychedelic journey together. Mm. And then they are truly family. Mm. They are like a good family, <laughs> like the good family. And, and it's wonderful. And then they're back online doing their integration and they're, you know, moving through the, the, the curriculum of the program and then they journey again. Mm. And, you know, that's really what we're looking for is this connection and being seen and 
And it's so healing. So for the therapists out there, you know, even small groups, like we've, and, and we've had so many therapists come through our program to do their own work. And they're like, I'm going to do group therapy again. I forgot how beautiful group therapy can be, mm-hmm. you know? And, and the other part too is again, for therapists out there, you know, the, sometimes that, that one-on-one is a bit, it feels transactional. Like they're coming, they're paying for it, but in the group, you know, the therapists are still there helping shepherd it, but the other people that are hearing them and seeing them and giving feedback, they're also participants. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of the acceleration of the healing in that group process mm-hmm. is that it's not about the therapist at all, the interaction and that mm-hmm. back and mm-hmm. forth. It's about a group dynamic mm-hmm. in which our therapists mm-hmm. also get to be vulnerable and honest mm-hmm. And so often at the end, when, when we get our feedback around the program, we ask for a lot of feedback. We, we allow for hundred percent anonymous feedback. One of the, one of the most common things we hear from our participants is it was so nice not to feel this hierarchy that mm-hmm. the therapist was somehow above me because mm-hmm. you guys walked with us at every step. You were walking beside us, mm-hmm. not in front of us mm-hmm. at all, not above us. And it's so refreshing to have healthcare people be equally vulnerable and open about healing and spirituality mm-hmm. and culture, how we're up, how our upbringing is, how we interact in this world. Mm-hmm. And we really need more of that of people just really connecting at the heart, heart level. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's uh, hopefully it's 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 a wave that will that will gradually spread. How hopeful are you about, mm-hmm. how do you see the kind of more globally, the impact of psychedelic psychedelics and psychedelic therapies on, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a big question on humanity. Is this going to change the world? Well, we're, every time each of us does our work and becomes a bit better, the world is better. Mm-hmm. I always feel like after a therapy weekend, the world's a better place mm-hmm. because those people go out and they're much more kind to their family. Mm-hmm. They're kinder to their colleagues. Um, they're nicer at the store. They don't get upset about traffic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that it starts with each of us. And if each of us are a little bit better, then the world's better. So I think we're at the no there's no stopping this. I truly believe we're in a we are this a reawakening phase. I don't think we're going to go back. Um, I think we're just finding our we're finding our way back to ourselves. And and like I said earlier, many many lineages have never been broken. There's many places all over the world. You know, mm-hmm. the goods have never stopped using mushrooms. Ayahuasca has never stopped being used. In South America, the peyote people have never stopped using peyote. Mm-hmm. So there's lineages unbroken, and mm-hmm. which is fantastic. So I think we're just, we're, <clears throat> excuse me, we're just walking ourselves home. You know, there's mm-hmm. that saying, we're just all walking Work. each other home. Walking each other home. And we're just returning. We're returning to this. And, you know, there's going to be all sorts of bumps in the road. There's all going to be all sorts of, like, absolutely there's going to be economic opportunism there's absolutely going to be bad actors. There's absolutely going to be all that stuff. That goes without it 
And if we focus on being excellent, if we focus on staying in integrity and we focus on being, you know, five star and continuing our healing journey, then the light will shine. The light will shine through. There's always going to be bad stuff, but what we want to do is focus on the improvements, what we can do. That's great. And, and so that, the, so that the best therapy programs and the best therapists and the best retreat centers rise to the top mm-hmm. and the ones that are bad actors just cease to exist. I right. hope. Yeah, right. So you, you're also somehow involved. You are involved in, uh, the largest microdosing study to yeah. date, 22,000 yeah. participants. 33. <laughs> 33,000 participants. So could you tell us a little yeah. bit about this study and whatever? Yeah. So, well, I'll just, I'll go backwards a bit first before we get to the study is I knew microdosing was happening. I had a lot of, um, you know, programmer friends in Silicon Valley, and I knew that they were microdosing small amounts of LSD for focus and had heard about that and, you know, New people were microdosing to feel well, more creative. I knew a lot of musicians that would have small doses, like before they went out on stage, just they said they got them in the group. But what really caught my interest about microdoses, microdosing was in a very short time frame. I had a number of patients tell me that, just tell me like out of the blue, like, you know, at one point I had been quite suicidal and, you know, I, I started microdosing and it changed really quick. You know, I had these stories that came like in rapid succession. So I was like, oh, this is really interesting. So I started collecting case reports and um, knowing Paul Stamets, I knew he was getting a lot of people that were sending him their emails about their recoveries and things they had done. So, so his team started asking, can we send, can we connect you with a doctor uh, that's collecting case reports? So I collected thousands of case reports from people, um, on all different uses of mushrooms, but also including microdosing. And I was like, this is really interesting. People are saying they're getting a lot of really interesting results microdosing. And so um, Chad talked with Paul and had met um, like Paul Stamets and had talk, met recently the team at Quantified Citizen who were really looking at, you know, democratizing research, like really helping because research is so expensive and it takes so much time and it's slow. And they were really wanting to use technology to help researchers. And so we all put our heads together and we said, well, let's, we already know there was already a couple studies that have been published showing microdosing helps with wellness, well-being, creativity. I was like, well, yeah, duh, we already knew that. Like, thank you. But why don't, what about, let's look at all the other stuff. Um, and uh, like, let's look at, the bigger picture on mental health challenges. Let's look at the bigger issues on substance use. Let's look at like physical things because people are saying, you know, ever since I've been microdosing, my cerebellar ataxia has gotten better. I can put my, uh, you know, my balance is back. People were telling us about, you know, their concussions were getting better. And so we put, what we did is we, we went through, um, we, we created a, a big, survey that not only asked people like what are you doing like what are you microdosing why are you microdosing what what are you microdosing are you combining it with anything are you what doses are you using and then why all the reasons why so a massive list of Hmm. everything every possible medical and mental health condition we could think of Mm -hmm. 
And then we also put in the app um, tests, validated assessments. So visual, hearing, uh, anything we could put in an app that was something that we would use in the office that we could put in the app. And then we went through ethics. And so it was it's a registered uh, study at clinicaltrials.gov. And uh, yeah, then we launched it and we were overwhelmed with how many people, like, we're, like in a good way, we thought, well, you know, let's, you know, get to 10,000 people. And we got to 10,000 people, <laughs> 20,000. And now we're at 33,000 people. And we've been able to iterate the study um, to, because people would give us feedback, hey, you forgot to ask about this. And so we have version one, then we did version 1.5, and then version two. And so we have 33,000 people. So we've published twice in Nature Scientific Reports on this. And so what we published there was um, on mood. We knew, like, we know microdosing helps with mood. So improves mood, decreases anxiety, decreases depression, decreases negative thoughts, and improves positive thoughts. That was one, some of the data that we had that we published on. And then what, but what was most remarkable is that we found there's, a, there's this test that we use for um, when people have neurodegenerative conditions like Alzheimer's, mm. dementia, mm-hmm. Parkinson's, um, and it's called the tap test. And then what it mm. is, is it's this alternating tap test with your finger. You tap as many times as you can in 10 seconds. And the devices, which we can do on, a, on phones now as well, um, watches your speed. But also your cadence, like so, is people get like something like Parkinson's? The cadence kind of gets different. You can you can measure that. And so what we found in the app is that people that were over fifty five, who were microdosing with psilocybin, lion's mane, mycelium, and flushing niacin, got faster, hmm. which is unheard of. Wow! Like over thirty days of microdosing, their tapping got faster, like remarkably faster. And so that has a lot of healthcare implications that if, if microdosing this combination um, of like cubensis with lion's mane mycelium, which was, has, has clinical trials published on it around dementia already, and then niacin as a catalyst, if that can help people who are at the age where they generally don't get better, you know, we generally slow down, our, 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 our memory goes down, our reaction time goes down, hmm. our eyesight, our hearing. If there is a potential that these three combinations can synergistically work for improvement, wow. whether that's neuroplasticity, then that's pretty remarkable. Wow. And so that's also published in Nature Scientific Reports in this study. And so, the, and so from that comes good clinical trials. So now is the, the, the process of moving all that into clinical trials to see, you know, is it a real signal? Is it real? Uh, um, the nice thing with these big studies is when you get enough people, yeah. then it's, you know, it, it moves from, okay, it's just, it's not random. a clinical trial, yeah. but it's, but yeah, it's not random at all. And the significance, the p-value was highly significant, which is why nature p- published it. You know, they, if it wasn't significant, they wouldn't have published it. But they, they were like, these are yeah. significant findings. So as you can imagine, there's 33,000 people in it. There's still millions of data points in there, which the team, which is now an international research team on the microdose.me team, is still working through the data to see where else were there signals mm. with microdose. And, and so the effect sizes are 
uh, very reasonable as well with those? Yeah. So what 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 is what we look at is is there a clinical significant improvement? Yes. So with mood, is there a clinical? Yeah. So just like we would do in a clinical trial, you'd have to say, well, mm-hmm. we only know that this intervention works if it's if the person gets better by X number of points yes. on this scale, right? And so. You could have a you could have a result that's significant, but doesn't mean anything to right, the patient. Right. But that's not what we're talking about. When we say it's a clinically relevant, it means you're talking it about effect sizes, actually. Yeah, the, the patient actually says, "I feel better." Okay. okay. And with reaction time, I mean, to go up to get 20, 20 points faster is is something that people notice and that's 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 congruent with the case studies where we have for instance in parkinson's where people are saying ever since my husband started microdosing he doesn't his tremor's gone okay you know and his mood's better so So we're seeing two things like not only is like think about like many of these conditions these neurological conditions are constellation of symptoms like they're you know in dementia there may be there may be depression and anger as well as the memory issue in Parkinson's, there's gait abnormalities, there's there's expression abnormalities, and there's depression. Hmm. You know, so it's really interesting to see a single intervention of microdosing helping on two different things: the physical and the emotional, which is right. I think. Well, that's wonderful. Research are super interesting. Super interesting. So I really yeah. look forward. Look forward to the clinical trials and seeing what happens. Yes, I have to say, I haven't checked this out, so it's something very impressive. How about long-term, uh, long-term use and tolerance issues and all that? Do you have any data on that with microdosing? No, everybody wants the data, but it takes a long yeah. time. And you yeah. know, clinical trials are millions of dollars, yeah. and and they're they're. They have they they're that way because there's so many. You have to make sure it's 100 yeah. percent safe. But the 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 comfort I have in this is that there are so many people microdosing mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. across the world, and we're not seeing as physicians and my my colleagues that work in the ER. They're not seeing people come in with complications no. from it. You know, like when you consider other things that are completely available like alcohol you know like probably the majority of of accidents that people show up in the er alcohol related we're not seeing a whole slew of psilocybin related what we are seeing is people using mushrooms in large doses not properly supported Mm -hmm. showing up right but that that's that's not that is not related to the mushroom that's related to improper yeah. set and setting and you know and my question i didn't intend it as a safety question because we know that mushrooms are you know properly done very safe but more of a mm-hmm. of a question of whether it's still effective with long term use you know what do you know about yeah, that yeah yeah well and i think i think what we're going to find is something very variable I think we're going to find, and this is, I, I'm, I'm writing up some um, case reports now on some of my patients that are microdosing, mm-hmm. and I'm writing them up because they're all over the place, and it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I have one person who has um, lifelong depression since they were a teen, and they microdose every day. And 
they microdose every day. They say, like, their depression isn't going away, but at least now they're doing things. Mm. They get out every day. They go for a walk mm-hmm. with their dog mm-hmm. every day. Mm. They go to work now, which mm. they couldn't, which before mm. the microdosing, they couldn't okay. do. They were off work all the time. Okay. So that's one thing. So they're not, mm-hmm. they're not clinically better, but they're doing more things in life. Mm-hmm. So that's one, so that's one part of that, mm-hmm. that uh, spectrum. And then I've got other people that microdose maybe three or four times a month, just as needed. Mm-hmm. And they notice like, it's just an as needed medication. So instead of taking a, um, a pharmaceutical medicine every day, like an antidepressant, mm-hmm. they're taking a microdose as needed to keep their mood so that they don't kind of go down a rabbit hole. Um, so we've got that. And then we've got people in between so that they're, they have chronic pain, which has caused depression. So we're, they're microdosing, mm. um, you know, something like low-dose ketamine mm. as needed, for instance, and which helps with the chronic pain, which then naturally helps with the depression because mm. you're not in pain, no. don't have depression, and you're not you're doing what you want. So I'm writing up a whole bunch. And so what mm-hmm. we're seeing is all over the place. And so what it really, to the answer your question, it really depends on why they're microdosing. Mm-hmm. If you're microdosing for, you know, um, Parkinson's, then that might be a regular regime. Mm-hmm. And then we'll find out, like maybe the regime is, you know, <clears throat> every second day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so the receptors don't get, you know, to like saturation. They there's a whole bunch of different ways of looking mm-hmm. how receptor pharmacology works with these medicines, mm-hmm. which I find phenomenal and not super oh. interesting. I'm looking at it, really going down lots of rabbit holes and, and, and oh, seeing yeah. like they, they act differently for some things like, you know, if, if the body doesn't want to bind anymore, it will retract the receptors into the cellular membrane. So there's nothing to bind to, mm-hmm. which is super interesting uh, for me, They're a whole new area for me to learn about. But I, so again, back to your real question, is there, is there, you know, do people get, um, does it no longer work anymore or is there Mm -hmm. any downside of it? I think what we're going to find is it's going to be a big, it depends, it depends Mm -hmm. what the age is, what the gender is, why they're doing it and what results they're hoping to get. Yeah. Great. Wonderful. We'll figure it out. Lots of science to do. So people don't want to fund science. Here we are. We're ready to do the science. Yes, we need the funding. yes. It's gonna it's gonna take time. You're right, and it's gonna t- take lots of mm-hmm. research. Um, you mm-hmm. are also a co-founder of the Psychedelic Association of Canada. Mm-hmm. Would you Would you be willing to just briefly tell us about the mandate and the kind of goals and what yeah. you guys doing? Yeah, the, the the overall, you know. M- vision mission of the psychedelic association we believe that psychedelics are a basic human right okay period and so we're we believe in um we've been a leader in canada for education and you know getting webinars out there on on topics that no one had previously covered we 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 look at we go we don't need another webinar on depression and psychedelics we need webinars on wellness and we need webinars on artistry and culture and and eating disorders and you know like really going like where where does information need to get out and let's bring in some of the best uh, people that know what's going on and and also people that have been in the psychedelic space a long time you know there's a lot of new people coming in which is great. 
Uh, but there's a lot of people that have been working on this for a very, very long time, you know, uh, and we want to honor, again, it's like about honoring our elders, the people that have really been doing the work for a long time, and especially when it wasn't easy to do it or it was even dangerous to do this work. So so our mission is to bring education and and um, and community. Again, it comes back mm-hmm. to community. Mm-hmm. We really wanted to be a place where everything about psychedelics could be under a big tent. So we can talk about research. We can talk about education. We can talk about the underground, the above ground and how we start to get rid of that line so that everything is just above ground. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talk about, we talk to, um, we meet with each and every politician that we can Mm. answer their questions, act as a resource to them. Say, if you ever need help with anything, you have a question, we are happy to get you the evidence so we, we, we meet with senators, we meet with people <clears throat> on the opposition, we meet with people in government. Again, it's all about being a resource. Like, what do you need to know? How can we get you the information? Who do you need to talk to? We talk to a lot of good media sources. So we, we work with the high integrity media, people that are not just clickbait mm-hmm. stuff. We, we believe we should ignore those in media. Mm-hmm. We should really just work with the investigative mm-hmm. people that really want to do long mm-hmm. form quality information Mm. um and we're community builders so we have a large community and Mm. we like to get people connected in their own communities so Mm. you know we support all the psychedelic societies like wherever they are if they need any assistance or collaborations we're always there and you're Um, based of vancouver well it's yeah it started in british columbia yeah it started in british columbia absolutely but we have um, board members from across canada okay and we have advisors from across Canada. We have some honorary mm-hmm. advisors from across North America. Um, and uh, it's, it's really meant to be a big tent where everyone is welcome. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really about, we, we're, we're about collaborating, amplifying other folks. So, for instance, if Shakuna Canada is doing something really interesting, we like to put wind under their sails and mm-hmm. amplify them. And hopefully, you know, uh, we just we want to be a space where everyone everyone is welcome and innovation is possible and Wonderful. good science, good information, good connections. Yes. Of know, course, I've wanted seen... We've always wanted to be a, a, a shining light, like a beacon of how things really well you are a shining light i've seen i've seen a lot of your a lot of your work and your posts and your webinars and all of that before we move on to there but i want to say it is a team yes again yes. this is all about a team like we volunteers have, all volunteers we have amazing volunteers yes. there's only one and a half paid positions at the psychedelic okay. association of canada the board takes zero money we don't we're not paid for yeah. anything and that has been a foundation right from the beginning that this had to be mission driven, um, really had to be like people that really believed in what, in what, like everyone, what we're doing. Yes. So that's why we only have one and a half paid positions in the most phenomenal volunteers, like the most wonderful, wonderful human beings on the planet are, are volunteering at the psychedelic association. Yes. Canada. So it's a huge, huge. team huge and without team. everyone without every one of our volunteers yes. and board members and our executive director and our community manager, it wouldn't, it wouldn't exist. And I have to say that you are probably the most visible member of this, that association that somehow you, you, you've put, a, I imagine a huge amounts of work into. 
into this. Well, it's an honor to be there, and it's really about everybody else. Yeah. It's really about, we have wonderful. It's so it's, nice. I, I wouldn't be there if they weren't so many wonderful people. Yes, I, I can imagine. You, you guys, sometimes you even have in-person meetings. So I've never been to one of yeah. those, but uh, whoever is yeah. around BC, uh, look uh, yeah. look for that. I, I wonder your a few thoughts, if you, if you have it in mm-hmm. you, on just the regulatory landscape. Uh, which is kind of related mm. to Psychedelic Association of Canada. There's sort of like three main mm. ideas. One idea is the medical legalization, which is delivering mm-hmm. uh, these, these within a therapeutic uh, space with, uh, reg- within kind of regulated professions. That's what FDA is working on. That's what Health Canada will approve initially. You know, mm. that's sort of what's going to happen. And then the next mm. step is the idea of decriminalization, which is already happening in BC to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, So decriminalization of personal possession, personal use. And then another level is an issue of legalization of psychedelics. So uh, you already stated that that you believe that uh, psychedelics are basic human rights. Could Could you tell us a little bit about these three and what kind of issues come with that and how you see those medical legalization, decriminalization, and legalization of, of those drugs. Yeah. Well, just for people just to get, lay that landscape, like decriminalization doesn't mean they're legal. It means that um, the police are not supposed to do anything unless every other crime has been solved right. <laughs> first. Yeah. So in Vancouver, <clears throat> when we were able to advocate for decriminalization of psilocybin, that means it's supposed to mean it becomes the lowest police policing priority. So once they've solved all the murders, all the assaults, <laughs> all the thefts, then they can turn their, their eyes to psilocybin. Uh, that's how it's supposed to work. So that's decriminalization. So we're not criminalizing people for access to the, for having these medicines on them, using, having them. Ultimately. And it usually comes with like a, a specific amount, up to a specific amount. Like if yeah. somebody has a exactly. truckload of, of, of something, that's... Mushrooms are not, they would not be not in okay. the decriminalization. Yes, okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you for clarifying that. And then um, medicalization means that then much like medicines, you can access them if you have <clears throat> the reason, the symptoms or the, or the condition that they're being treated for. So basically prescription related. So, you know, for instance, Viagra, you can't technically go and just get Viagra. You need to get a prescription and then that's the medical model. So it's a prescription model. And then legalization is just simply like cannabis is now. So Mm -hmm. cannabis moved through uh, Canada federally as first as a medicine through the courts. Courts said, this is, a, this is a legitimate medicine. Parliament must make this a medicine. It is now a medicine. And then we could write prescriptions for cannabis. Mm-hmm. And then in 2018, that, I believe it was 2018, then that changed just to federal legalization, which then meant now uh, it becomes a consumer good, mm-hmm. which means now it still has to go through proper manufacturing. So if you're going to be selling it, so when you're selling a consumer good, you have to checkbox all that it's safe, it's not contaminated, that it is what it says it is, that it's packaged appropriately, and it's not sold to minors. So that's what legalization would look like. And that's what, so cannabis is a really good example of that. So first medicalization, and then legalization. 
And, um, so where, so what, where are we at here? So we have this, um, we have this weird situation in which people can access psilocybin and MDMA through special access, which is a regulatory process, which means me as a physician has to do a ton of paperwork, mm. send it to Health Canada, you know nothing about my patient, mm-hmm. and I have to get their permission mm. to give a medicine, yeah. which is a really odd situation. It's not, it's not appropriate, mm. in my opinion, because a medical decision should be between a patient and their care team, mm-hmm. whoever that care team is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in, in BC, like you alluded to, we have this decriminalization process where MDMA specifically is the only psychedelic that is decriminalized in British Columbia. And then there's cities across Canada where there's decriminalization of psilocybin, like Kingston, Vancouver, um, I think maybe Toronto and others. So that's where we're, we're at. But, uh, you know, I, I really... I really personally hope that what we do is we just get to a legalization mm. model yeah. where where these where people can go through the proper manufacturing process to have a safe product for mm-hmm. adults to have access to to use how they want safely. And I also think like I said earlier that spectrum that we also need the medical portion. Mm-hmm. So if people want to come into a beautiful hospital retreat setting and have a psychedelic journey with Mm -hmm. their therapist Mm -hmm. and, and be supported in a hospital or in a hospital retreat center or, or, or whatever that there is those, those options. And so, so I think that's, and, and, and to move that forward, I'll just be a bit political here. Um, you know, health Canada follows, the legislation. Mm-hmm. So they can't change the rules. They can only operate in the rules and they're not going to change the rules unless they're told to change the rules. Mm-hmm. If Canadians want access to these medicines, mm-hmm. then what we have to do is we have to get busy. And what that means is we have to look in our ridings mm-hmm. where we live. So where you are in Winnipeg and go, who is my MLA mm-hmm. and who wants to be my MLA in the next Mm. election who is my member of parliament and who so provincially and federally who is my member of parliament and who wants to be my member of parliament in the next election and talk to them and call Mm. them up and say i support these medicines and Mm -hmm. i want you to support my access to them Mm -hmm. and if all parties know that there will be no negative political consequence for moving this forward. We will move this forward. Mm-hmm. The reason things do not move forward is because the media beats up politicians if they misstep. Okay. So politicians need to know that there's no misstep here. Mm. And we need to not support clickbait media. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So there's two things we can do. If, if you're, if we want this, is you need to let your politicians you, know yes. you support it, mm-hmm. and you need to not support media mm. that is sensational. Yes, yes, yes. And in terms of legalization, do you think that maybe we will need a little bit of a little bit of time for the public education? Lots of people don't know anything about these drugs. Oh yeah, totally, totally. 
what I think we're going to see. Yes, absolutely. But the, the education is there. It's easy. Like this is easy. We have solid education. We have lots of healthcare professionals that know this, whether in the above or underground, because it's quite blurry now. Um, but you know, what, were the, the, what I think what we're going to see, yeah. which often happens in Canada, is we have we have an activist court, a Supreme Court. So there are there are cases right now going through the court system, you know, for First Nations rights to these medicines, mm-hmm. which you know very likely, uh, and there's there's another there's two cases going that are going to go to the Supreme Court likely. One is First First Nations access. Mm-hmm their right to access medicines that there are in their lineages or just for their own health wellness. Mm-hmm. So that, that will go through, that will go is going through the courts now. And also another, there's another case going through that we have the right to our own consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so we have the right to take substances mm-hmm. that alter our consciousness. I mean, and which seems logical. I mean, we have the right to drink alcohol. We have the right to smoke cannabis. We have the right to drink or take tobacco, you know, so, and given that these medicines, you know, fall under harm to self and harm to society at much lower levels than those three things, Mm -hmm. um, that people have the right to their own consciousness and to do what they want in their homes, Mm -hmm. if they want to do these in their own homes. So both of those cases are going right now with lawyers that have, um, Supreme court experience Mm -hmm. And so what we may find, Eric, is that we may find the Supreme Court says to Parliament, like they did with cannabis, Mm. you have so many years Mm. to have a legalization strategy or a medicalization strategy. And I think that's what we're most likely going to see because it's the when the courts tell politicians what to do, they have to listen. And so there's no political consequence. Yeah. So either either we as the citizens of Canada speak up and tell our politicians it's safe and they move faster, or I think we'll see the courts the saying courts will t- okay. the politicians, yeah. you have to do this, just like with cannabis. Yes. Yes, wonderful. By the way, speaking about the dangers of relative dangers of various substances, who was it, Matthew Bagger? Do you remember there was actually a study? Do you, you don't have those numbers that ranked all kinds of substances, all kinds of drugs. Oh, that's Dr. David Nutt. David yeah, Nutt. Yeah, that's Dr. Right. David Nutt. And we're, he published that in 2010 in The Lancet. Oh, okay, so, so that was a while, ago, for, a while ago. Yeah. Do you remember and some of these results to place MDMA? Yeah, mushrooms the is at the bottom. At the bottom. <laughs> MDMA is close Mushroom, to the bottom. Mushrooms, MDMA, and LSD are very close to the bottom. At the top is alcohol. Least dangerous. Alcohol is at the top. Alcohol is the most dangerous and heroin drug is, in our society. And heroin is sort of in there, in yeah. there under under the alcohol and all that. Yeah, yeah. In, I could pull it. I could pull it up in a nanosecond yeah. here. Oh yeah. Just okay. getting yeah, uh, yeah. It's really easy to find. So, at the very bottom is mushrooms. At the very top, at the very top, alcohol, heroin, crack, cocaine, methamphetamines. Um, cocaine, tobacco, and then cannabis, GHB, benzodiazepines, super commonly prescribed mm. medication, 
And then when you go to the bottom and work your way up, mushrooms, buprenorphine, LSD, MDMA. There you go. <laughs> These are at the very bottom. So that, that, if anyone wants to look at it, it was also published in The Economist, and it was also published in The Lancet. Right, I so it's pretty respectable, respectable study that he did those estimates. And he estimated both the health yep. risks and, and safety risks. Uh, uh, harm to others harm to and harms to self. Harm to others so and harms harm to, to society okay. of alcohol and harms to there self of alcohol. Yeah. So the bar chart shows both. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that's really insane results. So, um, All right. what do you get excited about these days, Pam? What What's the most exciting things that you're involved in or you're thinking about or where is your heart going? Well, you know... My my most exciting days are when we when wonderful donors donate to therapy. Mm. Wonderful donors donate to research. That makes me happy because that means we can move this stuff forward for the benefit of everyone. Mm. That's what really gets me the most excited. And uh, in the academic field with our students in the program, what gets me most excited is when they're really thinking about positive solutions. Mm. And I and I, I that gets me excited, and that everywhere in the world, when everybody knows what's wrong, we all know what's not going right. We all know what's not working. We all know that that's easy. We know what that is, and it gets tired like for me for having people just saying it over mm -hmm. and over is boring. Mm -hmm. And we already know mm -hmm. it. It's not boring that it's happening. Right. It's just like yes, we know this. But what, what gets me excited do? is when I when I when I see people talking about solutions mm. and doing it. Mm. That's exciting. That's I just exciting. love that. I love it when people are going, here's something that can be fixed and here's how we're mm -hmm. gonna help fix it. Mm -hmm. And so when I see our students' eyes lighting up and going, you know what, I'm going to really dedicate to this or mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna work on this research or I'm going to work on this solution mm -hmm. that's exciting and that's what that's what i we need more of in this world is we need people that go here's an issue how can we fix it mm -hmm. you know and and that again is something we talk about in reach to thrive all the time like one minute for the problem 99 minutes for the solutions what are solutions because when you know what you want to get to mm -hmm. you can get there mm -hmm. if you know where you're going you can get yes. there you know it's like this is what we want to have a vision, to have your vision. That's great. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. How, how can people find yeah. you and how do you want people to find you? Uh, people can find us, uh, can find me either at the Psychedelic Association of Canada. Always happy to interact there. Um, at Roots to Thrive, you can find me there. And at Vancouver Island University in the Psychedelic Program. I'm wonderful. You know, it's I, I know you're super busy, super involved, and I'm so grateful that you found this time to talk to me. No, wonderful. Wonderful. I have some wonderful memories of living in Winnipeg and watching the Winnipeg Jets play. <laughs> yes. And you have some so, Polish. So. I, I, I'm, I'm Polish, too. So I, I was raised and yeah. born and raised in Poland. You have a little bit of Polish uh, blood in you as well, right? I do. <laughs> so I do. Yeah, yes, yes. yeah. You speak some Polish yeah, now. I've, uh, I speak nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you speak. <laughs> I speak English. I can I hear speak you English. speak. I can hear you speak. <laughs> yeah, I, I speak English, a tiny bit of French, and 
and uh, I think the the extent of my Polish might be pierogies and pierogies. Wonderful. That's about it. Thank you, Pam. Thank you. Thank you.